This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. And coming up next, we are talking travel. Sally Lucas joining me, Jane Klein, and today we're looking at Angkor Wat, how it was lost and found. You'd think it'd be hard to misplace something that big, but we're going to see how it happened. And we're also dreaming of a white Christmas. Sally, Angkor Wat, and that really does conjure up some wonderful, well, no, romantic's the wrong word perhaps, but some wonderful images of fabulous turrets and things it like that. It certainly does, Jane. And we've talked recently about how you know, Machu Picchu was lost and found. So we're just moving across and just, I guess, a similar situation occurred in um, Asia or in, of course, as it was um, in Cambodia. Cambodia, should I say, and it was the capital of Cambodia back in those days, and we're talking about 1431, and it was sacked by the raiding Ayutthaya people from the then Siam, which is now Thailand, and the entire population fled um, about 300 kilometres away to the safety of what is now Phnom Penh. Anyhow, they left behind them would have been the world's largest pre-industrial city. And it covered a vast area, uh, extending as far as field as Vietnam, China, and even the Bay of Bengal. So it's quite interesting history. But the raiders, apparently, of Angkor had little interest in actually occupying the city after the attack, and they went back to their homeland and left behind this community which was abandoned of timber buildings. It was mainly timber back in those days, and that included Angkor's palace, which was also of wooden construction. So it just decayed into the jungle um, with the damp tropical humidity, of course, and the seasonal monsoons. Now, all that, except, of course, for this vast temple complex, which we now know as Angkor Wat. Now, that was there at the same time? It was. And somehow, because it had been built of stone, it's if you... I've got a photograph here by the ear, by the way. It's quite a square block of land with a temple in the middle surrounded by forest, but it's got this huge moat around it. And that's what protected it because it was surrounded by a moat, which provided a ring of protection from the encroaching jungle. So it didn't become as overgrown and lost as the rest of the city did. So it just lay forgotten for centuries. And um, a few wandering Buddhist monks stumbled upon upon rather the vast temples as they sought out jungle communities uh, for conversion from the Hindu to their own faith. But tales just evolved from, and it wasn't long before many myths and legends began to rise about it. No one really believed there was this lost temple in the jungle. Um, and one of the first Western monks to see the temple was a Portuguese monk in 1586. And he was so astonished at what he'd stumbled upon that he wrote it was uh, of such extraordinary construction that it's not possible to describe it with a pen. It is like no other building in the world and has towers and decorations and all the refinements which the human genius can conceive of. But then it was left again. No one did anything about it. And so then it wasn't until 1860 that a French explorer, Henri Mouhot, he came upon the temple and it was his reports on the return to France that stimulated a whole new interest. And, of course, coincidentally, the French government adopted Cambodia as a protectorate in 1863. And then following this worldwide interest in Mouhot's reports, um, they started a restoration program and um, the jungle complex where it is, the first buildings were actually created in AD 802. So it does have a long history. So the restoration work still continues today on more than 100 temples that make up this 81 hectare complex of Angkor Wat. Angkor means city and Wat means temple. Um, and that draws more than a million visitors a year. And there's many tours that go in there with many really good 
you know, wholesalers, Wendy Wu tours, Travel Indochina, etc., etc. So you can get some fantastic itineraries that will take you into this wonderful spectacle. And there's very few restrictions on where visitors can go. Um, but to understand the complex and its extraordinary architectural detail, they say you really need the help of a well-versed local guide, you know, not to try and do it on your own. And also to try getting away from the actual stone temple complex and taking a bit of a walk into the jungle where the original city of Angkor was once surrounded, all these temples as well. So, And you can still apparently find outlines of some of the original streets, even though the buildings are are long gone. So it has got a very interesting history. And of course, Siem Reap, which is the neighbouring town, has actually developed on the back of Angkor Wat. But it's a bustling hive of activity now, and a lot of people love staying there. And you've got simple, you know, guest house accommodation right through to five-star resorts and nice little eateries and cafes and even little pubs. So, you know, it's come a long way from 802 AD, but a very interesting place to include on your visits into Asia. So just as a, as a brief side question on that, the new buildings in Siam Reap where you can stay, mm. are they made of wood? <laughs> yes, well, a lot of them are, believe it or not. Yes, um, but a lot of Angkor Wat too is you see like... Um, Vines still, they do have trees growing through, you know, some of, of the architecture because it was just left so long. So it is quite unique in, in its look as well as in its architecture. And we are talking travel, Sally and I. And Sally, dreaming of a white Christmas that's been in the back of our minds for decades, hasn't it? I think it has for Australians because we don't ever get that opportunity here, obviously. I mean, maybe Rarity or Hobart might get a few drops of snow or the, or the snowy mountains in uh, our summer months, but it is a rarity. There so, may even be a little bit of snow on the Barringtons in the next day or two. I wouldn't be at all surprised. It's absolutely freezing out there today, Jane. Anyhow, I just thought if you haven't done a white Christmas and it's something that you've always dreamt of doing, well, why not just do it? Instead of putting these sins on the back burner, we should get out there and enjoy life and not postpone. Um, life's too short. So how about if, you know, you woke up on Christmas Day in an 800-year-old coaching in deep in the heart of the snow-covered mountains of Austria or maybe in a picture-perfect hotel in the Bavarian Alps under the shadow of that romantic fairy tale castle of the mad King Ludwig. So there's all sorts of wonderful things you can do and the one thing we've mentioned before about winter in Europe is that you've got less people. That's a huge plus for a start. And also, you've got all these wonderful markets, winter markets and Christmas markets that are just about prevalent throughout the whole of Europe and they're wonderful to go to where all the families come out and it's it's a wonderful experience and you know your Christmas lights and you know they're serving mulled wine and hot roasted chestnuts and doing all these incredible things or sizzling bratwurst at the markets and you can also do your sleigh rides and etc so just sort of let people know there there is there are should I say brochures out now that specific, specifically uh, do tours just for Christmas in Europe Albert Trust is one of them if you wanted to grab hold of a brochure from your agent. And they have some incredible Christmas breaks in Switzerland, Austria, Germany, um, and of course, uh, at Italy. Um, all sorts of wonderful trips ranging from eight through to 12 days. And they even have New Year breaks if you wanted to have New Year's Eve in an Italian castle or in Bavaria or Paris or London or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, just think about it. It's a lovely time to go. And these tours with Albatross are specifically uh, designed rather for Australians and New Zealanders. Um, It's 
you know, Australian-based company, and so they they cater to our needs and what we like, our inclusions, and it, they are almost fully inclusive. You're not dipping your hand in your pocket either, which is always a good thing as well. And usually they limit them to about twenty people, so they're small group touring as well, just to let you know that. So that's one thing you could do. Um, also, the French Travel Connection's got a lovely Parisian winter holiday package. Now this is an eight-day package, which includes a, a cruise on the River Baroness, and you're going into um, northern part of France and again calling into wonderful places, uh, Rouen where you're going to the wonderful cathedral, you go to choirs in the cathedral, you go to markets again as we've said. So you can do this and then you can add on a, a four day package in Paris onto that as well as doing this wonderful relaxing cruise and again the inclusions is hardly, you're hardly putting your hand again in your pocket for any extras so they're wonderful things as well and also to let people know that um uh, next year, there's some wonderful tours with Aurora Expeditions. They're expanding their program into the wild areas where they're calling Wild Scotland. And they're doing the Faroe Islands there and lots of areas in, you know, that cover the intriguing channels and hidden locks and where history is told in the ancient stone sea cliffs, etc. And they've got wonderful seabird colonies and areas up there to visit as well. So that's something new. And they're also uh, extending their voyages into the Arctic. Um, they're adding four more journeys encompassing the very best of Spitsbergen, Greenland and Iceland as well and they're also doing Russia so they're increasing their uh, tours of the Russian coast and again these are areas that you can't get into a lot of them by any other means other than by these expedition vessels as we've talked about before. So we're getting a whole range of wonderful programs now that let us get into these beautiful areas that are quite pristine. So just consider some of those as something a little bit different maybe for the traveller who's done all the usual things. There's some wonderful options out there for you to take advantage of. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. Back Talking Travel again next Friday afternoon after the one o'clock news on 2NURFM.